This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 19. As we have started a series on the seven sayings on the cross, today we find ourselves in sermon number three. And the message is entitled, The Words of Affection. This particular message in the series is not built or based upon an evangelistic style of presentation. I think these words that we're going to look at today, it's a very solemn subject. And I, I pray that you would be like a spiritual sponge and soak it all up as much as you can, because these words are extremely solemn and extremely important. I want us to look at John chapter 19, and I'm going to read for you beginning in verse number 25 through verse number 26. But in John chapter 19, verse number 25, the Bible says this, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. You will see that there are many different Marys mentioned in the word. It's just like the word Simon almost. You have to know which Simon the scripture is talking about because not every reference to Simon is in reference to Simon Peter. And not every reference to Mary, particularly, is in reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus. You see that there are multiple Marys, even in this passage. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now those are impacted words, and I hope that you get the depth of it this morning as we examine this third saying on the cross. Grief is not a stranger to any one of us. And I believe I can say that with great confidence and a great assurance this morning because all of us to some degree or another has been affected by grief. There's not a person in this auditorium or listening by internet that has not been affected by it. Everywhere we turn, we can find somebody within our circle, somebody within our family, somebody within our group of friends, maybe a coworker, you can find somebody that's been affected by grief in some way or another. Oftentimes, listen carefully, there are no words that can ease the pain to someone's grief. Well, we know a lot of words to say, but many times words cannot take the sting out of grief. Sometimes our presence can be a great comfort to people that are going through this thing of grieving, 
But what works for all of us is prayer. Prayer is the greatest resource that we have on this earth. There's nothing any more powerful, any more greater than the power of prayer. But let me say this. Perhaps there's some people right now in this auditorium who is grieving. Maybe there's somebody you're watching by internet today and your life is being submerged with grief. Perhaps there's somebody within this auditorium that's grieving over the news of some recent medical report where you have been given the news of a terminal sickness. Maybe not only you, but maybe somebody in your family, a friend has got the news perhaps this week in recent days that there is a terminal illness. I know that there are people in this service right now who are grieving over the recent loss of a loved one. Maybe somebody's grieving this morning over a wayward son or a wayward daughter. Maybe somebody's grieving today with past issues that are unresolved. Maybe someone's grieving today over the fact that you have an unsaved loved one. Maybe today you're grieving over a recent divorce or maybe some type of financial trouble. Maybe somebody's grieving over a bad decision that's recently been made. All of us have experienced difficult times like this, and we're all connected to it. Sometimes grief can bring us to a place of almost near death. I know someone years ago whose wife had died, and three days later they had set themselves down in a chair and grieved, literally grieved themselves to death. I will never forget that. When our hearts are broken, listen, and we're overwhelmed with this thing called grief, sometimes if we're not careful, we're prone to question God about that. Sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves and we begin to say, Lord, why me? There have been times in our life when we have been overwhelmed with grief to such a degree that when we question him, we begin to remind him of all of our faithfulness. We begin to say, Lord, after all I do, Lord, look at the Christian I am. Lord, I've been faithful in so many ways. But if we're not careful, listen, when we begin to cast all of our care on ourselves, we've lost the ability to cast all of our care upon him. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was no exception to this grieving process. In fact, Mary's life was filled with grief. I want you to think about this just for a moment because the introduction to the message today is imperative that you understand the aching, hurting, grieving heart of the mother of Jesus to be able to connect the dots and to see how this applies to our practical lives today. But I want you to think how difficult it was. In Mary's youth, when she found herself with child, being told of the angel of the Lord, think about just for a moment 
the grief, the agonizing thought and preparation that was going over in her mind how she was going to tell Joseph about this. I mean, she was going to tell him that not only was she pregnant, not only was she expecting a baby, but an angel of the Lord appeared to her and confirmed all of this. Think about how all of that was going to go over. How could he possibly understand something about an immaculate conception Think about the grief that she had when she had to tell her parents. I mean, it was one thing for her to contemplate how Joseph would comprehend this, how he would respond to this, but how she was going to tell her parents about this. But it didn't stop with telling Joseph and telling her parents. She knew that in just a short amount of time that the community was going to know. Think about the grief that she personally endured when she realized the gossip and the rumors that were going to be circulated about her. Think about the grief she experienced when there was no room for them in the end, the night she was going to deliver the Lord Jesus. Think about the grief in her life when she got the word that Herod was killing all of the young boys, two-year-old and under. Think about the grief she had when she saw her son come of age at the age of 30 years old where he began his public ministry only to see his very own people reject him and despise him and want to run him out of town. And now think with me just for a moment as she watches from the ground looking up to the cross as she experiences all of these horrific, horrible events of Calvary unfolding right before her very eyes. I want you to keep in mind that it's been prophesied that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But I think that we can correctly say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a woman of great sorrows as well. Think about this. I believe that the woman who had the greatest privilege of all mankind had the greatest grief to bear of all. Look at the scripture once more in verse number 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. After the infancy and after the childhood of Jesus, we hear so little about Mary. Very, very little. I mean, her life is tucked away in the background of the scriptures. She spends most of her life living in the shadows of the preciousness of Jesus and, by the way, her other children. There are denominations today that preach and believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That's not correct, and I'm going to show you why in the Scripture. I want you to hold your place here and look with me just momentarily at the gospel of Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3. They will get these scriptures on the screen for you. But the Bible says, is not this the carpenter's son of Mary, the brother of James and Jose? 
and of Judah and Simon, look at this now, look at it very carefully, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So I want you to understand that Jesus was not the only child of Mary. Jesus had other brothers and Jesus had sisters. And so the teaching that Mary was a perpetual virgin is not scriptural. I want you to understand that. In fact, as we look at this scripture, we can only imagine of what perhaps went on in her life during the years that she was bringing up other children after Jesus because the scriptures teach us that James particularly, and we can apply this to other siblings as well, but listen, James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. That's important. Just like we can only imagine what life was like for Jesus from the time he was 12 to the time he was 29. In those silent years of scripture when he lived with his other brothers, and you understand when I reference to that, I'm not saying that the father of James was the father of Jesus. Jesus was the only begotten son of Jehovah God. These other brothers and sisters that are mentioned, they were the offspring of this carpenter, Joseph. We can only imagine, though, what the Lord's life was like growing up in a household where people didn't believe he was who he said he was. I mean, I have referenced this many times, but I want you to think about the reality of this. As Mary and Joseph were well aware of this immaculate conception, how the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary, how the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, think about all the stories that went on at the breakfast table or at the dinner table. Think about the times that either Joseph or Mary or them together said, now look, kids, we want to talk about this one more time. We want to tell you the story one more time. Can you almost imagine those others putting their hands over the ears and saying, listen, we've heard this thing a hundred times. We don't believe a word of it. Quit telling us about this. Jesus grew up in a home where there was no doubt in the mind of Joseph and no doubt in the mind of Mary that he was the Messiah, the only begotten son of God. Yet he lived among his family that did not believe that. So you think with me now. So out of all of the chaos and the grief that Mary had experienced early on in her life, she's now standing at the foot of the cross and all of a sudden, Mary once again is thrust into the center stage into the darkest hour of her only son, Jesus, his Messiahship life. James was not the Messiah. He was not the offspring of the Messiah. Jude wasn't. This was the son, the one promised from heaven. This was Jesus, the only begotten son of God. All of a sudden now, I, there's no doubt in my mind as Mary is once again thrust into the top of the scriptures, she resurfaces again 
there's no doubt in my mind that she was probably the closest person to the foot of the cross. I believe that. Think about the things that must have been going through her mind as she stood there. Maybe her memories carried her back to the birth of the Lord when she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Maybe standing there at the foot of the cross, she began to remember the day that he got lost in the caravan, that she went looking for him, where they found him in the temple at the age of 12, teaching the doctors and the lawyers of his day. Maybe standing at the foot of the cross, perhaps her memory took her back to the day that John the Baptist was baptizing at the River Jordan when he majestically watched Jesus approaching down to the shore where he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Mary perhaps remembers that ordeal and the Lord's baptism. No doubt, perhaps standing at the cross, Mary remembered the first miracle that Jesus ever performed at the wedding in Cana of Galilee when he turned the water into wine. And now, Mary has traveled the Via Della Rosa, perhaps even abused somewhat herself. Maybe they're calling her names. Maybe they're spitting on her. Maybe they're kicking dirt up into her face. Maybe they're throwing a stone at her. There's no doubt that Mary, while standing at the foot of the cross, she was paralyzed and helpless at, was, at what was taking place. I can only imagine what she went through. Not only did she know that Jesus was the Messiah, but this was her firstborn son. It was she who had placed the first kiss upon his little brow that now was being crowned with thorns. It was Mary who first guided his little hands and feet that were nailed securely to the cross. It was Mary that gave him his first little bath. It was Mary that dried him and put clean clothes upon his body. But now he's out of her reach. She cannot wipe the blood from his eyes or the sweat from his brow. And on top of all of this, she has been abandoned in many ways. You think about this. She does not have the comfort of her friends except for John. Her sisters were there. But all of those who claimed to be his disciples, every one of them, the scripture says forsook him. We'll see that in a minute. I believe that it is interesting that Mary is so numb as she's standing at the foot of the cross. This was an incredible realization to me and an acknowledgement, and I want you to think about this. Mary is so numb and paralyzed at what's going on and what's taking place at the cross that none of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, none of these gospels records one single word that Mary said while Jesus was on the cross. Try to imagine this now the pandemonium that's going on. The crowds are mocking. The priests are jeering and wanting Jesus to prove his divinity. The soldiers, they're laughing, they're gambling. The Jews are shouting, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. 
The Savior is bleeding, and all his mother can do is stand there and watch. The scriptures do not say that she said anything. Verse 26 again, Luke or John chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, look at this, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Here Jesus speaks for the third time on the cross. The first time he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The second time he spoke, he spoke to the thief, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And now the third time he speaks to his mother. But this is interesting. Never one time did Jesus ever call Mary mother. You might say, well, that's not respectful. Or perhaps, preacher, you're missing something. No, listen very carefully. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say Jesus calls her directly mother. I think perhaps one of the reasons for this was to keep people from worshiping Mary. There are people that do that today. That's not what the Lord wanted. Back in Jesus' day, referring to his mother as woman was like saying ma'am, like we should do today. Jesus, when he said, woman, behold thy son, he was also declaring his divinity. He made it clear, listen carefully, by saying that, he made it clear that Mary did not create Jesus. We have to keep in mind that it was through the omnipotent power, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, Jesus created her. That's a big difference. Jesus did not want Mary to be called the queen of heaven. He was very particular. I want you to look at John chapter 2 and verse 1 through 4. Because this instance where Jesus called her woman is not the only time he did that. In John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And so listen carefully this morning. What lessons do we learn from this third saying on the cross? I believe there are four simple truths, and I want to give them to you very quickly here. The first thing that came to my mind was this. We see Jesus setting the example for children to honor their parents. And by the way, that's a subject that really needs addressing today. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I'm not part of this woke crowd. I, I don't believe in canceling culture. I don't believe in saying, let's do away with yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Can I have a witness? I, I'm not for this thing about calling right wrong and wrong right, disrespecting our parents. I, I'm not for any of that. 
I think we still need to observe some of the things that the Word teaches, all of the things that the Word teaches us about this. A few thousand years before the cross, God had inscribed on two tablets of stone with his own finger on Mount Sinai, the words of Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And it says this, Honor thy father and thy mother that the days may be long upon the land. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. And so when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he spoke this third time, he taught the lesson of respecting his parents, especially his mother in this case. The next thing I see is that John did return to the Savior's side when Jesus was on the cross, on the night of the crucifixion or the night before the crucifixion, when Jesus was apprehended in the garden of Gethsemane, he was going through unimaginable sorrows by the way then, because the Bible says that when he prayed, he began to pray with such intensity that blood began to come out of his brow, even in the garden while he was praying. And he said this, Lord, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. I've been asked the question many times through the years, preacher, what was in this cup? When Jesus said, let this cup pass from me, I think one of the first and foremost things that was in this cup was the broken fellowship for the very first time ever between God the Father and God the Son. We'll talk about that in another saying on the cross. But not only that, as this was one of the darkest sorrows of Calvary, it was not only about being forsaken by God the Father, but it was also an element of him being forsaken by his closest friends. In fact, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 56 says this, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all, look at this, all the disciples forsook him and fled. And when Jesus was on the cross, only John came back. The others, the Bible says, Peter followed afar off. All of the other disciples were looking from afar off, not John. John was there. John, he left, he fled, but he came back. Those disciples in the garden, they could not even watch and pray with him for three hours. And they would all scatter at the very moment that Jesus would need them the most. And Jesus had warned them all of this. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, the Bible says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, and now Jesus gives the prophecy, I will smite the shepherd, and look at this, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And so they're running. Their fleeing was humiliating in some degree because in John chapter 18, verse number 19, you're in that vicinity. You can find the scriptures on the screen. 
The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. This is what was being confronted with Jesus. The high priest wanted to know how many disciples he had and where were they at this particular time? Where were they now? I'm sure those high priests wanted to know what kind of doctrine, what kind of faith, what type of gospel do you have that in the dark hour of your life causes all of your disciples to run and flee? In Matthew 26, 31, the Bible says, they forsook him because they were offended at him. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. And so they simply felt like that they were no longer safe with Jesus. They were ashamed to be in his company. But thank God, one out of the 12 did come back. One out of the 12 did return. And let me say this, there might be somebody listening today in here or there might be somebody listening today by internet for whatever reason. You have decided not to follow Jesus. You have decided for whatever thing or things that's going on in your life that this thing about carrying the cross and the word teaches us that we need to pick up the cross daily and follow him. There might be somebody in here today that's so discouraged. You've let down the cross. You've laid the cross down. One of these days, thank God, when the Lord Jesus returns, we can lay the old cross down. We can lay our faith down and exchange it for sight. But that's not the day that we live in right now. We live in the day and the time where we are told that we need to pick up the cross and follow him. But there might be somebody that's so discouraged today that you've laid the old cross down. And for whatever reason, you're not following today. You're not, you're drifting. You're following afar off perhaps. Listen carefully. I would say to anybody in that condition this morning, return. It's never too late to return to your first love. And may this be perhaps this message this morning, the hour that the Holy Spirit brings great conviction to your spirit and, and says to you, listen, let the prodigal return. Come back to the Savior's side. Number three, I want you to see this. We have a clear illustration of the Lord's prudence. Prudence means the discipline of oneself or the exercise of good judgment. And this, by the way, was another prophecy that was fulfilled on the cross. Because in Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 13, I want you to see this. Keep in mind, this prophecy was given 750 years before Jesus went to the cross. And the prophet Isaiah said this, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. On the cross, Jesus exercised exceptional prudence because in John chapter 19, verse 27, the word says, Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. One of the greatest concerns of life, I believe, is to see that our loved ones are properly cared for. Probably one of the greatest illustrations within our church family, and I know there are many, but I, I'm amazed how wonderfully Lewis and Lynn have taken care of Sister Rose. I'm, I'm blessed when I've seen Kurt and Susan take care of Carol. 
this is a wonderful thing. This is, this is a biblical thing. This is what the word teaches. Just as Jesus now, the firstborn son of Mary, he had the earthly responsibility to take care of her. Jesus knew that his life on the cross would not be easy for Mary. And so Jesus used great wisdom in selecting John for the task with his mother. Keep in mind, John was not his brother. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say, now James, you're next in line here. James, it's now time for you to step up. James, it's now time for you to get in the program. James, it's now time for you to start doing your part. Isn't it interesting Jesus did not address James? He didn't address Jude. He didn't address Simon. He didn't speak to any of his sisters. But the word says the disciple that came back, the one that returned, Jesus used great prudence on the cross and entrusting the care of his mother to John. The Bible says the disciple whom he loved. He used great wisdom in selecting John for the task of his mother. He didn't select his brothers. As I have already said, they didn't even believe he was who he said he was, even on the cross. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they believed. The Lord had seen something very special in John. And let me, let me emphasize this. What was it? Jesus wasn't impressed with the fact that John was a skillful fisherman. He wasn't impressed with his education. He wasn't impressed with his wealth. Jesus was impressed with his heart. This is what the scripture means when the Bible says, man looketh on the outward, but God looketh on the inward. Jesus knew his heart. And number five or four, and I want our musicians to come forward. And I really want you to get this now. This is probably the greatest point of the message today. Follow me. When Jesus spoke these words, we see the universal need of the Savior. Because the Mary of Scripture is quite different than the Mary of superstition. The Bible doesn't say that Mary is blessed above women. Many people elevate her to that status. No, nowhere in the scriptures are we told or taught to pray to Mary. No place to do that. Many people do, but we're not taught to do that in the word. The scriptures doesn't say that Mary is blessed above women, but the scriptures say that she's blessed among women. That's imperative. We have to remember this, and this is hard for some people to hear. I, I recognize that, but it's the truth. Mary was also a member of the fallen race of man just like you and I are. Like me, like you, Mary was a sinner by nature. The word says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, as Mary stood at the cross, Jesus was dying for her as well. 
That's a perfect picture of what the Bible says, for all have sinned. The word doesn't say, for all have sinned except for Mary. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And without question, the cross paralyzed Mary for a moment, but I want you to know it didn't stop her. When they did all of these hateful and barbaric things, Mary's paralyzed. None of the gospels say that she said a word. She's paralyzed watching with grief and a broken heart. I can see John putting his arm around her. There's no doubt she's shaking, maybe uncontrollably. Maybe she's on the point of hyperventilation. But we have to understand that Mary wasn't in the back of her mind while all of this was going on, looking at these Roman centurions and say, okay, when this is over with, I know where you are. I, I, got, I got my people coming to get you. She didn't think about that. She didn't have any animosity in her heart. The scriptures do not give us even the implication that Mary got frustrated at the whole thing, upset, heartbroken, overwhelmed, had a nervous breakdown, thought about suicide. None of those, listen, when the crucifixion was taking place and she was paralyzed at this whole event, it did not stop her. And the truth of the matter is this, many people... When we have things that goes south in our life, I, I wonder how many Christians are not in these pews today? How many Christians are not even in church today? How many Christians no longer read their Bible, no longer pray, no longer serve the Lord? How many Christians today are in places they thought they would never, ever, ever be in their life because of some catastrophic event that took place. Somebody hurt their feelings. Somebody said the wrong thing. Somebody did the wrong thing. For whatever reason, they said, I'm out. I want you to know that when the world had done the worst it could do to her son, she did not quit. She did not stop. She did not throw in the towel. How do you know that, preacher? In Acts chapter 1, verse number 14, this is what the word says. This is the last scripture. Because after they had done their worst, after Jesus had bowed his head and gave up the ghost, after Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body down, and begin to prepare it for the burial when they had placed Jesus into the barred tomb. When he rose again from the dead, he assembled them all to a place called the Mount of Olives 40 days after the resurrection. And he began to say this, listen, I'm going to the Father, but I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Mary was in that group when Jesus gave those instructions. And then look at the scripture. These all continued 
with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. I, I want you to know it wasn't just men in the upper room, 120 praying. There were men and women in there. But look at this. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren, she did not quit. And I will tell you this. If Calvary was worth you and me, then our sufferings and our troubles and our trials and our grief on this earth should amount to something that's worth it for him. He gave everything he had for you and me. He gave his hands to the cross. He gave his feet to the cross. He gave his side to a Roman spear. He gave his head to a crown of thorns. He gave his blood to the dirt of the ground that it might provide salvation for every human being that would ever call upon his name. He gave his mother back to the disciple John and he cried with a loud voice that is finished and gave his spirit back to God. He gave everything he had for you and me that we could have eternal life and a home in heaven. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.